title of the message is A Heart for the Thirsty. God would give us a heart for the thirsty. And, uh, and so that's where we're, that's where we're going to go today. Um, on Christmas Eve, Chris mentioned this. Let me, let me just say this. On Christmas Eve, uh, we're having three services. It's, uh, it's on Sunday. We'll have a 10 o'clock service in the morning, a service at 3 o'clock, and a service at 4.30. We hope that you'll use those services to invite friends, uh, to invite family to come with you. Uh, it's going to be the same service all three times. And we're going to take up an offering, and all of that offering will be given away. It won't stay here at North Point. All of it will go to other places. Last week, we talked about part of it going to, uh, a third of it will go to the Greater Lansing Food Bank to go to food pantries here in our area. And we'll tell you a little bit more about uh, where it's going to go as a result of uh, today as well. Uh, I love telling stories about Honduras. Uh, um, I've had the, the opportunity to, to uh, go to Honduras on mission trips eight times. And uh, it's a country I love. I love the people there. It's been really cool. One of, the, one, of the, the, uh, one of the memories that I have from one of my first trips, we were up in the mountains, in the Merendon Mountains. Uh, the, the mountains are there, and they go from sea level up to about three or 4,000 feet. They're, they're real jagged. It's, it's a crazy kind of place. And while we were there, we met, uh, we're there with all these Hondurans, and, and uh, a white guy comes walking into the area where we were that we didn't know. He was a Peace Corps worker, and uh, it was really fun to watch him talk to the missionaries, because they said, where have you been? I haven't seen you in a really long time. And he said, he said well, you know, it, with my work with Peace Corps, I, I go and work with the farmers in the mountains to try and help them um, develop an ability to get better yield for their crops, to take care of their families, to do all kinds of stuff. So I do lots of teaching. He said, uh, a number of months ago, I was up in the mountains walking. It was really hot. I was talking to lots of different farmers, going from place to place, started back down the, the trail to get back into the city to where I lived, and I realized that um, I hadn't brought any water, and I'd been out in the sun all day long. He said, I knew I was in trouble. There was no traffic, no, no way to get any water, no, no place to go. I didn't know where there was a water source where I was. And I knew I was in trouble when I began to hallucinate, when I began to see things that, that weren't real. He said, I was in bad shape. And so I stopped, and I knew that this wasn't great, but I had to have some water. So I stopped on the trail, and there was a puddle, a mud puddle. And I drank water from the mud puddle. And I got dysentery as a result of it. He said, I, I, I almost died. It was, he was down flat on his back, uh, literally at the point of death, because he had drunk this water that was full of parasites, full of bacteria, full of all kinds of bad stuff. Um, drinking impure water, it can be deadly. It can kill you. We, that's not something that we think about much here in the U.S. because we have such great access to clean, pure water. But throughout much of the world, that's a reality. The question, as I thought about that story, what makes, what makes a person thirst, thirsty enough that you would drink water that you know is full of parasites, that you know is full of bacteria, that at the very least is going to give you diarrhea, but much more likely is going to give you dysentery? What makes you drink that? Incredible thirst. Doctors say that our bodies are filled with five liters of fluid. We have two liters of blood that, that goes through our veins and our arteries, and that there are three liters of, of, um, of water 
that permeate all of our cells that fill our body. Most of us know what the term dehydration is about. It's, it's when our body, when that fluid level begins to be depleted. It describes what happens for us either when we sweat a lot or, uh, or when we uh, vomit or have diarrhea, when we begin to lose that liquid and our body begins to shut down. When we face dehydration, it creates this, this systematic shutdown of our bodies. Um, anybody been there before, experienced a little bit of that? So, so it usually starts with some headaches, um, you, you know, some uh, dizziness, maybe some cramps in your muscles, and you recognize, man, I, I need to start drinking something. It goes to the next level and, and you begin to get really faint. Sometimes you do faint. Your kidneys start to shut down. And when there's no longer enough fluid to sustain the blood flow in your body, your body goes into shock and will ultimately cause death as your heart shuts down because there's not enough fluid there to pump the, the blood through your body. Most of us have experienced that. A hot summer day, you're out working in the sun, you're exercising, you sweat a bunch. Maybe you get the flu and in just a period of hours, all of your fluid leaves one of two directions. Um, that's enough description there, right? Uh, and all of a sudden, we begin to feel crazy. The question that I want for us to consider this morning, this Christmas season, is are you spiritually dehydrated today? We've got to have sustenance that comes from God the spiritual fluid that allows us to live day by day, moment by moment. How did that Peace Corps guy nearly die? He got so busy doing so much stuff, talking to farmers, walking from place to place. He got so busy that he forgot about drinking good, clean water. He found himself so desperate that he was willing to drink something that he knew might kill him. The psalmist describes for us that spiritual thirst that exists in us really well. In Psalm, uh, in Psalm 42, David wrote, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 63, David wrote, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Um, I talked to somebody who was in first service and they said afterwards, they said, man, I am so thirsty <laughs> because we talked about it. I, I want you to just have a little bit of a sense of that for a second. If you would, would everybody just kind of make this sound? Together. Let's do it together. Now shut your eyes and do it again. Do you feel that hot air, that sense of longing, the this, this sense, man, I've got my mouth starting to get dry. I've got to have some fluid. You know, there's a crazy thing about being dehydrated. Sometimes we don't recognize it in ourselves. Sometimes we need somebody else to point it out. Yeah, that's what's going on. Um, 
When we moved from Virginia to Ohio, the place that we moved in Ohio was about 20 minutes from the, the country's greatest theme park ever, Kings Island. Anybody know Kings Island? It's, it's, it's like the best. Uh, and so when we moved, we had, we, you know, we had a house full of kids. They weren't all that excited about moving from Virginia to Ohio. And we said, okay, here's the deal. If we move to Ohio, we will buy season passes for Kings Island. And, the, and so that first Christmas that we were there under the tree, every kid that was still at home had a season pass to Kings Island. So if you can imagine being a teenager and living 20 minutes from Cedar Point, um, it, was, it was like... It was the best thing ever. Uh, so the kids' friends would call and say, hey, you want to go to Kings Island? They'd say, yeah, let's go. Hop in the car, be there in 20 minutes, then spend three or four hours, come back home. It, it, was, it was the greatest thing ever. So uh, the kids were always at Kings Island. Um, we got a call, or actually Joe, our son Josiah, came home one day, and he, he was talking about what he had done at Kings Island, and he said, he said you know that thing that happens when you, when you ride a roller coaster and you get to the end of the roller coaster and you kind of black out? Um, and we said, no, wait, say that again. Um, and he said, yeah, you know, when you're riding the roller coaster and you get to the end and you go through the last thing and then everything just kind of blacks out, it's, a, it's, a, it's scary. And uh, this is our son who had open heart surgery when he was 12 because his aorta was closed up. Uh, and so uh, we said, uh, just so you know, that's not normal. Um, and so we went to the cardiologist and explain to him what had happened. He checks him out, um, runs all kinds of tests to make sure the blood's flowing through his body correctly. And, and when it was all said and done, the cardiologist said, um, I think here's what happened. He was at Kings Island all day. He was dehydrated. He simply was dehydrated and he started to pass out. Um, sometimes we need people around us to give us feedback and to let us know that we're spiritually dehydrated. We need to be in relationship with people in, in a life group, in, in CR, in, in, a, in, a, in a mentor kind of relationship. Somebody who can say, man, I see the signs. Something's not right. You've got to come back to Jesus. In John 4, Jesus is in the country of Samaria, and he sits down by a well, and a woman comes up to draw water from the well, and Jesus says to this woman, would you give me a drink of water? And the lady says to her, the woman says to, to Jesus, how can I draw water for you? I'm a Samaritan, you're a Jew. They didn't like each other at all. It was kind of like a Michigan State fan asking a University of Michigan fan to pull them out of the ditch when they've gone off the road in the snow, right? It's just, it's like, she's saying, this does not make sense at all. And Jesus said, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd be asking me for water because I can give you living water, water that, that if you drink it, you'll never be thirsty again. And she said, she said, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't have a bucket. You don't have a pail. You don't have anything to draw water with. How can you say that you'll give me living water? In John chapter 4, verse 13, Jesus says, everyone who drinks this water from the well will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That woman from Samaria didn't recognize how spiritually dehydrated she was. 
just took Jesus a couple of minutes to let her know that and to have her experience that and to recognize it. Jesus let her know because Jesus is the one who can quench our spiritual thirst. He's the one who can provide that force that lasts. He can fill that void, fill that, that emptiness in us. 400 years before Jesus was born, the prophets looked forward to Christmas, to the birth of the Messiah, the Christ child. They looked forward to that spiritual water that would come to replenish them. Isaiah, one of the prophets, didn't use that imagery, but he wrote a, a prophecy that we sang about this morning from, from Isaiah chapter 9. He said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. He's not talking about water there, but it's the exact same kind of imagery. Isaiah says, you know what? The nation of Israel, they're just stumbling about. They need direction. They need light. They need water that can quench that thirst in their souls. Down just a few verses later, he says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Last night at Michigan State, and in lots of places around at this time of year, the famous oratorio by George Friedrich Handel, Messiah, was performed. It's filled with the words from Isaiah. The Hallelujah, of course, is the climax of the oratorio, but one of the songs in the oratorio comes from Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born. And, and in that song, there's this explosion of joy that happens as they sing about the, the coming of the Messiah, the, the water to the spiritual, spiritually thirsty, when they sing, Wonderful. Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. There's, it's, there's this sense, oh, you know how it feels when you're thirsty and you drink that water. And it's like it fills into every cell of your body. That's what, that's what Handel communicated musically. This Christmas, if you're feeling empty, if you have this sense that something's not right, you're feeling dry, go to Jesus. Jesus is the living water. He's the one who can sustain. He's the one who can make sense of whatever it is that's going on in your life. I know right now you've got tons of stuff to do. There are parties and concerts. There's stuff to bake there you got packing to do before you travel there's all that stuff packages to buy presents all, you got the stuff to wrap none of that's bad stuff none of it's evil at all but it's not pure clean water go to the source go to the living water this christmas spend some time with jesus I want to just encourage you, uh, three places to go this week to just spend some time. Read Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. That's the Christmas story. It tells the story of the birth of John the Baptist. And, and let that take you there. Read Matthew chapter 1. 
describes the, the birth of Jesus uh, from a different perspective. Read the first 14 verses of John chapter 1. And you'll have this sense of God's incredible love for us. That he's standing by ready to give us the water that we need to drink. God sent Jesus to be living water for us. That was the biggest gift, the biggest give of all. As we celebrate Jesus' birth, though, we have a chance to give as well. Last week, I, I uh, read from Matthew 25. I want to I go there again today because he talks about thirst in a, in a uh, way that, that parallels what he did with hunger. Jesus is teaching and he talks about this king, this ruler uh, that separates his subjects on the left and on the right. In verse 34 of Matthew 25, the king says to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. The righteous answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? The king replies, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he says to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you didn't give me anything to eat. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me anything to drink. They'll also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? He replies, truly I tell you, whatever you didn't do for one of the least of these, you didn't do for me. You know, when I read Matthew 25, particularly as I thought about the, this aspect of thirst, I've always had in mind kind of this image of, uh, oh, you know, if I see construction workers out on a hot summer day, I give them a bottle of water. If I see somebody working outside that's, that's doing stuff and, and that, that you can just tell that they're sweating up a storm, that I would give them a drink, something like that. That was the image in my mind. What I've learned this week, though, is that the impact of lack of clean water on a person and on a community is far bigger than I ever imagined. 780, 780 million people worldwide don't have safe drinking water. Think about that for a second. That's twice the population of the United States. 780 million don't have clean drinking water. A third of the world's population, two and a half billion people, don't have sanitary conditions relative uh, to safe drinking water. About three and a half million people per year die of water-related diseases, of dysentery, of parasites, of diarrhea. Three and a half million people. Um, for the places where there's not water available like ours, it's not uncommon for, for families, for people to have to travel a long way in order to get the water that they have to drink and to use. Um, the, it's, it's not uncommon at all for it to be five, six kilometers that they travel to a well to bring water back to their village. Uh, the, five or six kilometers, that, that doesn't sound like that much, does it, right? Ever run a 5K? How long does that take? That's three miles, so if you think about going to get water for your family and it's three miles one direction, that's probably going to be an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, one way. So the impact of not having water 
all of a sudden takes a family member completely out of any other kind of work for most of the day. If they have to get water twice in one day, that's crazy. I, I, as I've had a chance to travel, it's always been a fun thing when you go and you'd see somebody, you'd see a woman or whatever carrying water on her head, you know, a big uh, five-gallon, six-gallon jug of water on her head. That's, that takes incredible skill, right? Have you ever stopped to think what six gallons of water weighs? It's 48 pounds. So you think about walking with 48 pounds on your head three miles, one direction. Um, it, it looks cool, but it plays all kinds of havoc on your spine and on your pelvis. Um, it's not uncommon at all for women in those cultures that carry that water to have their backs just fall apart because of the sheer weight of the water that they carry. Uh, girls, when they're young, begin to go about that process of carrying the water. As soon as a girl starts about the business of having that job to carry water, she uh, immediately has to stop going to school because she can't go to school and make the journey to get the water and bring it back every day. A lack of water impacts sanitation regarding going to the bathroom for families, for communities. A lack of water impacts women as they experience their, their monthly cycle. A lack of water means that people don't have the ability to farm where there's, no, where there's no water. And if they can't farm, they can't make any money. And if they can't make any money, they don't have the ability to buy clothes. Water impacts in a dramatic way. Some people groups literally function in a system of slavery because they don't have water. Water would free them, but instead they go to work for another tribe that's, that's nearby, and that tribe controls them because they don't have access to water. This past August, the staff, elders, and some leaders here at North Point went to the Global Leadership Summit. Uh, it's an incredible two-day conference about leadership. And in that conference this year, they showed a video of, of a guy named Dick Greenlee from Oklahoma who had gone to the conference 15 years ago somewhere in there and had come out of it with a sense that God had challenged him to use his resources, his abilities to do something to make a difference in the world. He was a guy who owned a company that, that, that created, that manufactured drilling company or drilling um, machinery, uh, sanitation uh, machinery that helps uh, purify water, that kind of stuff. And so Dick Greenlee took it on himself to figure out a way to not just go to Africa or someplace else to drill wells, but to create a, the ability to drill wells for the people who lived there. So that it didn't take technology and, and somebody coming in with a $20,000 drill to drill these holes. Uh, it was fun to watch the video because what he talked about was the manufacturing process. They kept coming up with ways to do this, and he kept saying, no, it's too expensive. It's too expensive. This whole process to be able to drill this well for the people in these under-resourced places, it's, it's got to be just a few hundred dollars. It, can't, it, it has to function to impact um, that society. He ultimately uh, created uh, the ability to help that happen. And I, I want you to see the story of, uh, of one particular lady 
that was impacted by Water for uh, the name of the organization that he created and the, and the process that he began to use. This particular lady is a part of a tribe in the Democratic Republic of Congo in Africa. She's a pygmy. You can't really tell that until the end of the video when she's with some people who are much taller than she is, but her story is incredibly compelling. Take a, take a look on screen. My name is Mariamu. I have two children that are alive. The other five children died. In my life, I once had good eyes. I was well. I could walk well. I could see my children. Still to this day, I don't know what took my vision. To always have to send people to get water for you is a problem. My life belongs to them. Water is life. When someone uses the good water, you have opportunity. His life can go uh, very far. <laughs> Christmas Eve, as a part of our response to Jesus' call in Matthew 25, a third of our offering is going to go to water for. Um, it, it's, uh, it's an incredible organization. I want you to know just a little bit more about who they are and what they do. Take a look at this video as well. The water crisis is an age-old problem, and it's going to take a new solution to solve it. For decades, we have taken the same approach. Expensive drill rigs, difficult methods for maintenance, high cost per water source. And even when wells are drilled, one out of three of them are not functioning, bringing the average life of a water well to just under a year before it needs to be repaired. What would happen if we turned that on its head? Maybe we don't have a water problem, but an enterprise problem. That's why the Water for More initiative was created 
to take an enterprise approach to solving one of the world's oldest problems by taking World Vision's expansive footprint and development expertise across the globe and Waterforce's innovative small-scale drilling method, training, and tool manufacturing. This partnership aims to not merely drill water wells, but empower nationals to be the solution to the water crisis. This is how it works. Through the Water for More initiative, we are training and empowering small-scale drilling enterprises that use appropriate drilling techniques for certain geological formations. The goal is not drilling wells, but creating enterprises. World Vision uses their area development program to work at the village level, using their long-term relationships with these individual communities to introduce sanitation, hygiene, and community development. Water 4 brings a low-cost, hand-drilled drilling method that allows for water wells to be drilled at a tenth of the cost as a mechanized rig, and with locally sourced materials using locally trained drill teams to operate as individual enterprises. These local enterprises and local materials mean affordable maintenance and no more idle wells. And at six years, it has produced over 3,000 wells, bringing nearly 1 million people access to water. Now for the financial benefits. Since local drill teams are drilling and maintaining these wells, every dollar given by a benefactor with this initiative stays in the community. The local drillers can drill up to 25 wells per year, and the average well cost is $1,500 to $2,000. That's an average of 25 wells a year by one drill team for the cost of five wells drilled with a mechanized drill rig. This is not a one-and-done initiative. As multiple drill teams are trained in an area, the economy of scale will drive the cost of wells down so individuals can actually purchase their own wells. So for instance, small-scale farmers can afford a well of their own for irrigation to enhance crop production even in the dry seasons. But how will this scale? World Vision and Water 4 have built two regional operating centers, or ROCs, that are located in Ghana and Ethiopia. Each are able to resource over 40 independent drilling enterprises by manufacturing tools, pumps, providing extensive training, and building a truly sustainable supply chain into the area. One drill team is great, but 500 is better. It's an effective, locally sustainable, and immensely scalable solution to the water crisis. For the first time, the global water crisis has a solution with a model that can scale to meet the immense need. How? Through enterprise. And through this unique Water for More initiative, a partnership stands ready to change the lives of millions and perhaps change the way we look at development too. I want to invite you to, to uh, you know, this week, whatever, to go discover more about waterford.org. I don't know anybody there. All I know is my exposure to them uh, at, at the Global Leadership Summit and then the research that I've done in the last several weeks. Um, I'm convinced it's an incredible opportunity for us. This video is uh, about four years old. The, the numbers now are interesting. They, they said, uh, uh, what'd they say? Uh, 3,000 wells and a million people. It's now about 7,000 wells and three million people have water because of the work that they're doing. The incredible part of that is that they're, they're not Americans going in and drilling wells, that it's happening in the places with people in those countries. There's about 12, 15 countries that they're working in, and uh, we have a chance to give to help make that happen. The question for us today ultimately is so what do you want to drink? We're in desperate need for clean water.
We need it. We need the living water from Jesus, the stuff that quenches that thirst deep in our soul. So much of the time we settle. We settle for something that we know is not real, we know is not good for us, we know will have long-term bad effects. We've got to go to Jesus. God has a heart for the thirsty, and so when we cry out to him, he will respond to us. Around the world, there are lots and lots of people, 780 billion people drinking this, and we have a chance to make a difference. May we do so with hearts that are grateful for the way that God has blessed us. Let's pray. Lord, um, there's, there's just so much stuff that runs through my mind. Father, we thank you that you have allowed us to be born and to live in a place where we don't have to worry about clean water, where we have access to it at so many levels all the time. Thank you, God, for your goodness to us. Lord, may we, um, may we share, may we be generous. God, may we use our resources to help people that we don't know um, have that need met so that they can know about you, so that their lives can be changed because of your love. God, I ask too that you'd be with us that as we get caught in all of the busyness, as we drink water, that you would remind us that you are the living water. You're the only one who can make sense, the only one who can fill the void that is deep in us. God, draw us to Jesus over and over and over again. In his name we pray, amen.